Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Who was Martin Luther King Jr.? What impact did his work have on the civil rights movement? And what are we still learning from his legacy today? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. In this country, the words, I have a dream, are absolutely iconic. They represent Martin Luther King Jr. and his speech at the March on Washington in 1963. They also represent the goal of equality and freedom that we continue to strive for in this country. Martin Luther King Day, a federal holiday in the United States, celebrated each year on the third Monday in January. So to truly celebrate this day, I wanted to learn more about Dr. King's work and how we can use his teachings and his commitment to justice to be better citizens to one another, especially in our challenging present moment. For this conversation, I am joined by Professor Hassan Kwame Jeffries. Professor Jeffries is an associate professor of history at The Ohio State University. He's the author of Bloody Lounge, Civil Rights and Black Power in Alabama's Black Belt. And he's also the editor of Understanding and Teaching the Civil Rights Movement. So he is the perfect guest for today's podcast. Professor, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well. So... All right, let's jump into this, Professor, because this is an amazing topic. I'm really looking forward to covering it. Um, You know, we have the incredible luxury of looking back on a man's life who really did change our country and our society for the better. So in your opinion, what made Martin Luther King Jr. into the activist, the inspiration, the leader that he was? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, I think uh, on the one hand, we were just talking about family and community. Mm -hmm. I mean, he came from an amazing family. Uh, his father was a minister, a Baptist minister. His grandfather was a Baptist minister. He grew up in one of the most dynamic uh, black communities, uh, even though it was during the Jim Crow segregation era in Atlanta, the Auburn Avenue, Atlanta community. Um, he had amazing mentors as a young person. He started college at age 15 at Morehouse College uh, and there was mentored by the president of the college, Benjamin Elijah Mays, who was a phenomenal, amazing educator, minister and, and civil rights activist. So Martin Luther King, the activist as well as the preacher, uh, was a product of his family and his community. But he was also he was also an accidental activist. Uh, while he while he had a real commitment to uh, social justice, even as a youngster coming up in the sort of social gospel tradition of the uh, Black Baptist Church, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just was he didn't move to Montgomery uh, after while he was completing his dissertation, uh, just getting married, just with a baby who just came uh, thinking about, OK, now I'm going to lead a revolution. You know, I mean, the revolution happened and pulled him into it. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't like, you know, you know, he he, I mean, he literally woke up one morning and the revolution was here. So it's, it's, I think that is important to keep in mind as well, because sometimes we think, oh, we, we place him on such a pedestal. And really, he was just an ordinary person 
who 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 rose to uh, the occasion during an extraordinary okay. time. Okay, so you're saying he didn't necessarily start the revolution, but he was there and he really commanded the revolution once it started. Yeah, I mean the people. I mean it's important when we think about the civil rights movement uh, that it doesn't begin in with Martin Luther King. Uh, you, there's a long history of African-American activism and fighting for freedom and justice and civil rights. Right. I mean, black folk have been fighting for equality since they arrived on these shores in 1619. And so when King gets tapped to become involved in the civil rights struggle in 1955, uh, when the Montgomery bus boycott, begin, boycott begins, there's already in place, even in Montgomery, a very uh, active local community. And, and, and King gets drawn into that which then taps into his very special abilities of oratory, his, 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 his ability to move a crowd and motivate a crowd. So it taps into his talents, but it was certainly there before him and would continue on after him. I'm glad we're on this topic because I'm curious, what did his early career look like? I mean, what were some of the first instances of his civil rights leadership? Well, it begins in 1955 with the Montgomery bus boycott when Rosa Parks uh, refused to give up her seat on a segregated bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, And it's important to note as well that Rosa Parks just wasn't a sort of tired old seamstress. She's 42 years old at the time. She's a secretary of the NAACP. She had a 20 year history of activism before that moment. And, And but that but that moment happens. Um, King is a minister, a young minister at the time. Uh, and in Montgomery, Alabama, 25 years old. And partly because he's new uh, to the community, he doesn't have particular loyalties to any one group. Um, He's a dynamic orator and the head of the local NAACP, uh, Edie Nixon at the time, already knows of him in that way. Mm-hmm. And and he's the head of a very prominent church, even as a even as a young as a young person, young minister. And so he gets tapped, right, asked to serve as the president of the Montgomery Improvement Association, which would be the local movement organization. And, you know, he's a when he's tapped, he's like, hey, um, can I get back to you on this? <laughs> can I go talk to my wife, Coretta? This is exactly what I have planned on. Uh, and he gives some thought and he gives any praise about it. And then just as he was called to the clergy, uh, he felt called to participate uh, and help lead this local movement at the time. He, no one could imagine that he would then become the face and the voice of the civil rights movement that emerged in the 50s and 60s. Uh, he thought he was doing his part locally. Uh, but destiny had something else in mind. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that bus boycott, too. That involved 382 days of walking to work, harassment, you know, a lot of things happening. Both King and Nixon's homes were attacked. So he definitely you talk in the in the beginning of this um, about how he rose the to the occasion. And this was a perfect example of that. It is. And, it, and it's also, you know, when we think about King, too often we we freeze him in time. And usually that moment is the march on Washington. Mm -hmm. But King is like everybody else. His views, his thinking evolves over time. And and so we go back to 1955 and we always associate King, of course, with sort of nonviolence. But you go back to 1955. And just as you mentioned, his home is bombed. uh, Edie Nixon's home is bombed. But when King's home is bombed for the first time in January of 1956, 
you know, his wife, Coretta King and his 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 daughter, Yolanda, are at home and he's um, literally at a mass meeting and he gets word that his home was bombed, unsure of whether or not his family is still alive. And he goes back mm-hmm. to the you know, to his home and finds out they are still alive, thankfully. And then the members of the community, um, the uh, you know, the black folk in the community come around and they say, we're not going to let this happen again. We're now going to provide you armed security. And, you know, we think about King as this nonviolent person. And King's response was, okay, cool. Thanks a lot. Make sure <laughs> you'll make sure they're here all the time. Right. And he's like, yo, I got to protect myself. I got to protect yeah, you. What are you doing? Makes sense. And it's actually cool. Right? It's, it makes total sense. Right. And the, so the default within the black community was always self-defense. Right. Always arm yourself. And King was like, yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> um, Coretta Scott King, though, who had been studying nonviolence, uh, was actually further ahead than King. Uh, you know, she had gone to Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio. She had been studying um, nonviolence and, and the teachings of of Mohandas Gandhi before King mm-hmm. knew Bayard Rustin, this dynamic um, nonviolent uh, activist. And so she's the one that actually sits down with her husband and is like, you know, after a couple of days, you know, I'm not really, she says, I'm not really feeling these guns up in here. You know, yeah. she says, we have to, we have to aspire to something different, even if it means that the, we have to face a heightened level of, of danger. And so King prays about it and he says, you know what, you're right. But, it, but, it, but that's such an important moment to me because it speaks to his evolution that, you know, he moves, especially when you think about something like nonviolence, just philosophically as a way of life, it takes so much to practice it that, you know, we think about King being born and the doctor slaps him on the behind. He turns around <laughs> and says, you know, I'm going to turn the other cheek. Like, no, he cried like everybody else. Yeah. And so in this moment is the same thing. He's like, I got to I have to work at it. I have to work to become. This And he worked to become who he was in the end. That's really special that you mention Coretta King because they met while he was working on his doctorate. Right. So do you think that that's how they connected because they were both studying? Well, it sounds like she was ahead of him, but maybe they had that in common. Yeah. Well, you know, King King had a uh, had an eye for pretty women, right? I mean, not to objectify, I'm just stating historical truth. Mm-hmm. And Coretta Scott King was absolutely beautiful. And she was a, a classically trained singer. I mean, she was the catch, if you will. Uh, but she was more than just a pretty face and a beautiful voice. I mean, she was a deep thinker in her own right. So I think you're absolutely right. It may be that the, you know, the love at first sight was about the voice and the and the face, but what brought them together was he really was able to appreciate her as a thinker, as an activist, someone committed to social justice and as a partner uh, that would help him uh, move through this through these trying times. Uh, And so, yeah, I think that was really central uh, to the strength of their relationship. Just to be able to connect on basic morals and principles and values. I'm sure that's I'm 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 not married or anything yet. But, you know, I I could assume that that's probably what gets relationships and, you know, that, that keeps the relationship going for the long haul, for sure. When you think about how like, yes, you have to have that to make any relationship strong. But imagine the the stress of having your oh life goodness, turned yeah. upside down because of threats and violence. And and then you're gone all the time. And, you know, I mean, that is like the pressure on that relationship was so intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet the love was unconditional. 
Um, and that that's worth recognizing. You know, I love what you said about how Martin Luther King Jr. prayed about it. How do you think his faith impacted his work in civil rights? King's faith was central to his civil rights activism. Um, too often we think about King solely in terms of his civil rights activism. And we don't and we take him or we divorce him from his um, Christian faith. It is his it was his his civil rights activism is very much a part of his Christian witness. He did not separate the two, um, which is in part why for him embracing nonviolence wasn't just a tactic. It was a way of life Mm -hmm. that reflected uh, his 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 religious walk in life. And and but it's a very particular kind of religious belief, a particular kind of Christianity that's also important because he believed in something called the social gospel. Uh, which meant applying the teachings of Jesus Christ to everyday life. In other words, the 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 work that needed to be done by those who embraced um, Jesus's teachings was to apply that to the least among us. Uh, and that's where he he really made his commitment. So he wasn't about any kind of sort of a, a corporate or you know Christianity. Right. I mean, he was like, no, this is about being involved in people's lives and providing for the least among us. And that really informed his activism. I feel like that's why so many people, too, were able to follow his lead because he was living exactly what he believed. He wasn't trying to just go out there and impress people with his speeches. He obviously was an incredibly ornate speaker, but you could tell that it was just you watch his speeches and it's coming from his heart and probably his his faith. And God is actually coming through him. And and that's, to me, one of the best qualities about Martin Luther King. Jr. I think it's so cool that he was so rooted in his faith. Yeah, I mean, it was his guy. Um, and I think that did resonate with people. Um, they, 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 they were able to pick up on his um, on his deep faith, his deep belief, uh, and he practiced it. I mean, he walked this. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's not a surprise, I think, as well, that the the black church Uh, The Christian church was so heavily involved in the movement. But King also transcended just sort of the the community of faith. I mean, there were non-believers who were right there with him, uh, who appreciated, acknowledged his faith, but then also appreciated his ability to bridge with other groups. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so just the full package is what really resonated with folk, I think. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yet you have this guy who skipped ninth and 11th grade. And like you said before, he entered college when he was just 15 years old. He is incredibly uh, intelligent and driven. So how did he go from, you know, this little boy back in the day to now Martin Luther King gaining this national notoriety? Well, Montgomery was the launching pad. Uh, 
the Montgomery bus boycott attracted the eyes of the world. Um, and then after that, the question became, well, what do you do, right? Montgomery becomes successful, it desegregates public transportation there. But the fight was about more than just uh, being able to sit where you please on a bus or drink from a particular water fountain. It was about access to voting rights. It was about uh, ending racial terrorism. And so after Montgomery, uh, King has to figure out what to do. And he's guided by a number of veteran activists, one of whom was um, the amazing Ella Baker, a phenomenal grassroots organizer, veteran civil rights activist. And she says, you got to create to keep momentum going. You have to create a organization, a national organization. Let that be your your operational base of power. And so they create the Southern Christian Leadership Conference that then that he becomes the president of that allows him uh, to then move beyond Montgomery, to tap into local movements uh, outside of the the one local movement that he was a part of. So that takes him to Albany, Georgia, that takes him to Birmingham, that takes him to Selma, that takes him to Chicago. And that really uh, elevates not only his profile, but also the, the range of possibilities uh, in terms of what he could do to bring about uh, full equality in the United States for African-Americans. Yeah, you talk about full equality. So then what led to the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964? Well, that's an important piece of legislation. When the Civil Rights Act of 64, you had not had a major piece of civil rights legislation for almost a century since Reconstruction, since the 1870s. And one of the critical elements that leads to the passage of the uh, of the Civil Rights Act, which which essentially said you can't discriminate against people on the basis of race and public accommodations, was the Birmingham Civil Rights Campaign. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama in 1963 was considered the uh, most segregated city in America. And King leads helps lead a campaign there uh, that ends formal segregation there. Uh, but then the following year in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. We don't sometimes we don't think of Florida the South as the South, but Florida is very much the South. It was yeah. a Jim Crow state. It was a Confederate state. It was a slave state. And and King leads the charge there. And so drawing attention to uh, segregation and that segregation was and this is why it was so important for him to take people into the streets so that people could see that what propped up segregation was racial terrorism and racial violence. And this wasn't just a uh, unfortunate inconvenience. This was a way to exploit people's labor. Uh, this was a way to keep people from uh, the ballot box. And, and, and the Civil Rights Act really helped. You needed that federal legislation, that federal involvement in order to end that. And those two local movements really went a long way in helping to bring about that change. Mm -hmm. It's really crazy when you listen to you talk even about all of these notable moments that Martin Luther King either led or was a part of. And I feel like he could just he, he deserves a whole history book, not just a few chapters, an entire history book, which there are ones on him, obviously. But, you know, I, I'm just curious. There are so many to choose and there's so many moments to think about. But what do you think was a turning point or one of the biggest moments in his career? You know, King's life is filled with a number of turning points um, because he's constantly evolving. So Montgomery is certainly a turning point in that it launches him into this activist career. Um, Albany, Georgia, uh, is a which happens a, a campaign he helps lead in 1962 is a turning point because 
it is not successful in the immediate moment. Uh, and so he draws, he, he takes away major lessons from that and uh, saying that, well, we can't deal with necessarily in terms of putting pressure on local people to end segregation. Uh, let's focus on the business community as opposed to politicians. Birmingham is major because it's successful. Uh, Selma uh, brings about the, in 1965, uh, leads to the Voting Rights Act. Um, so sometimes, so those are some of the early major, you know, sort of turning points. Chicago, he goes to Chicago uh, around fair housing in 1966. Again, isn't necessarily successful, but learns a lot about the problems that uh, people were facing, African-Americans were facing outside of the South. And, and so from all of these moments, King is learning things that he then processes and applies. And he learns from both the victories as well as the defeats. Mm. Uh, since you're already touching on 1966, if we just fast forward to you know the late 60s, what did his career look like at that time? Well, that's a, it's a great, I'm glad you pointed that out because we often don't look at the, the final years of King's mm-hmm. life. Um, we, we, if we get to the Voting Rights Act in Selma, uh, we're doing pretty good, and then we'll jump over uh, until his assass- to his assassination in 1968. But those final three years are really critical, just as you were asking about sort of what are these turning points. He's learning a lot. He's moving outside of the South um, and, and focusing his activism in the North and the West. Uh, he's, by the time you get to 1967, he's talking about the Vietnam War. Uh, and critiquing it and saying America, United States needs to pull out of the Vietnam War. Uh, he is uh, organizing the Poor People's Campaign, uh, leading a crusade to end poverty uh, that is touching not just African-Americans, but uh, people of all races and ethnicities. Uh, and so these final three years are really critical because they're projecting um, onto the years that he would not be alive. Uh, a, a sort of a blueprint for change that we need to be uh, still wrestling with today. Uh, and so I really encourage folk to uh, take a little time uh, when you do have a time to look at those those final years of King's life, because uh, they are really uh, both informative and inspiring. Yeah. And this is coming to after years of going to jail of, you know, a lot of turmoil. And I'm sure that's that, like you said before, causes a lot of stress. Um, So what he was doing even at the end of his career and and end of his life was just really incredible. Now, can you just take me through those final days of his life? We we go to 1968. Yeah. So in early 1968, King had uh, initiated the Poor People's Campaign and was uh, was working with his organization, SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, uh, to rally poor people from around the country uh, to come to Washington, D.C. and to make the case that America as the richest nation, wealthiest nation, not only in the world, but in human history, ought to be doing more to eliminate poverty. And that's a big undertaking. Uh, But that was what they were working on in the spring, uh, winter and spring of 1968, when in Memphis, Tennessee, in February, uh, sanitation workers, uh, garbage men, if you will, uh, went on strike uh, following the uh, death, the job on the job side of two African-American sanitation workers crushed in the back of their sanitation truck 
these were uh, African-American men, working class men who were underpaid and overworked. Uh, and King's commitment uh, to what he would famously say, all labor has dignity, drew him to Memphis to support the sanitation workers as they fought for a living wage, as they fought for uh, promotions without discrimination, uh, as they fought for dignity as laborers. And it was while he was coming back and forth to support the sanitation workers' strike uh, that he is he, he finds himself uh, on the balcony uh, of the Lorraine Motel uh, on April 4th, 1968, uh, in the early evening, uh, and an assassin's bullet um, uh, shot from uh, across the street uh, winds up striking him uh, and killing him uh, on that on, on, on that fateful day. Yeah. And April 3rd, that was his final speech as well. Right. Yeah, April 3rd. So the night before, uh, he is he gives uh, a really powerful speech um, right there in Memphis, Tennessee, um, the mountaintop speech uh, in which he talks about having been to the mountaintop and peered over uh, the other side. And uh, he says almost uh, uh, prophetically, I may not get there with you, uh, but we will get there one day. And that very next day, uh, his life is cut short. What do you think his career would have looked like had he not been assassinated? If Dr. King was still alive, we would not have a national holiday for him. Uh, that's one thing that is clear, because one of the things that happens after his death is that we begin to move away from King's radical side. Uh, you know, when King is assassinated and you know, he's assassinated on April 4th, but on April 3rd, uh, when you go back and look at some of the polling that have been taken uh, among uh, Americans, white and black, uh, for different reasons, King was one of the, the most unliked people in America. White Southerners were mad at him, right, for toppling Jim Crow. White Northerners were mad at him, didn't like him because he was talking about uh, racial discrimination in housing and in schools in the North. Uh, black folk, especially young black folk, were upset because they said he wasn't going uh, uh, fast enough or, or hard enough moving into the black power era. Uh, but when his life is taken away, then suddenly there's a reimagining of King. There's a little bit of a softening of King, mm. um, which is unfortunate because we lose a lot of the lessons that he actually had uh, to teach us. So, but had he been alive, uh, there is no softening, right? Because he's able to continue to do the things uh, that we needed him to do. So we may not have a holiday, but he certainly would have kept on fighting yeah. and kept on fighting for ordinary people, kept on fighting for the least of us. And maybe we would be in a better place. Uh, but of course, that's always hard to tell. So on that same topic, then, what is the significance of his life for these modern times? Mm. I think, you know, the significance of King's life is one, the way he lived it. Um, this this commitment to people, a life of service, um, you know, someone who literally gave his life for uh, civil and human rights for other folk. I mean, he could have walked away. He could have looked the other way. He could have said no when 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 he was tapped in Montgomery, but he didn't. Uh, and that eventually he gave his life up for other folks. So that life of sacrifice and service, I think, is really a model. Uh, for how we ought to be engaging people and engaging the world. But I think the legacy, too, is 
not just how he did what he did, but what he tried to do, trying to end poverty, telling America there's no reason why there should be homelessness in the richest world, the richest nation in the world. Why do we have poverty? Why do we have hunger? And really calling us to task, saying that if one, if we're going to be the wealthiest nation in the world, then let's let's share that wealth uh, in all ways. But then also let's be a democracy, small d democracy, expand the electorate, bring people in so everyone can have a say in the decisions that affect their lives. So I think part of his legacy is he offers us a blueprint for how to make this country and how to make this world a more inclusive and more democratic place. Professor, I want to end with this. Um, You know, I think a lot of times we forget the meaning behind holidays because we're caught up in celebrating or having work off or, you know, whatever it may be. So in your opinion, how do you think we should be celebrating MLK Day? So MLK Day should be as it was originally intended to be as a day of service. Not just, as you said, you know, a holiday, uh, not just as a day to catch a mattress sale, uh, but a day to spend in service for other people. And, 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 you know, it's not just a, Hey, I'm, you know, a one day off thing either. I mean, that was the thing, Abby, about King's life. You know, he, it wasn't, I'm going to turn it on and turn it off. It was like, this is how we ought to all be living. Mm -hmm. And so that King day should just be an example day for how we should be engaging others uh, 365 days out of the year. We're in the middle of this terrible pandemic that has cost the lives uh, of almost 400,000 people at this point. There's a lot that we can do for others. And especially now in this moment where we see uh, people are, you know, literally are in food lines and are are hungry and are dying. Uh, Now more than ever, I think, we need to come together and do for others, which is a way of doing for ourselves in the end. Such an incredible message to end this on. You're right. I think we're put on this earth to help others. It's not about always serving ourselves. It's definitely about the people who are around us. And especially in these trying times, that's how you build each other up rather than tear each other down and, and become a community that I'm sure Martin Luther King Jr. would would want as well. So, Professor, thank you so much for joining. This was incredible. All my best to you and your beautiful family. Thank you, Abby. I appreciate it. All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways from my conversation with Professor Hassan Kwame Jeffries on Martin Luther King Jr. Number one, Professor Jeffries highlights that we cannot freeze MLK in time. King was not born into the world necessarily ready to fight for civil rights. MLK needed to go through his own evolution. In fact, Professor Jeffries highlights that the fight for civil rights actually came to MLK when he was approached to lead the bus boycott in Montgomery rather than MLK seeking out civil rights work. Number two, Professor Jeffries says you cannot separate King's civil rights work from his Christianity. Professor Jeffries explains that King's civil rights activism is very much a part of his Christian witness, particularly linking Christianity to the social gospel. And number three, to that end, Professor Jeffries notes that MLK Day should be a day where we work to actually emulate the spirit of MLK by being in service to one another. He says that especially right now during COVID-19, there is no shortage of those who could use our help and our service. 
Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on MLK Day. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.